Good morning. My name is Rich Wolf. I'm one of the pastors here at Village 7, and I have a privilege just to come and to share God's Word with you. Um, as we begin, uh, I'd like to just pray for us as we receive God's Word. Father, we do ask that you'd be with us. We promised to do that, and we thank you that we've had the privilege of worshiping you with music and with your Word and through prayer, and now we ask that your Word would have its impact on our lives, knowing that uh, we need your instruction. Uh, just like our children need instruction. And we pray that our hearts would be receptive. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'd like to invite you into my living room. And Lori and I are sitting on one couch, and you and your future spouse are sitting on the facing couch. And we are beginning a process of premarital counseling that will last a couple of months. And during that time, we will discuss a lot of different topics. Uh, we will talk about communicating with one another. Uh, we will talk about uh, forgiveness and repentance. Uh, we'll talk about conflict resolution. We'll look at the biblical uh, scriptures about marriage. Uh, we will even look at how to handle money. And then one of the things we will do is maybe look at a book like when... Um, Maybe a book like Love and Respect or When Sinners Say I Do. But no matter what the, the content and the outline, there is one thing I will say almost always. When you get married, you will find out that you're selfish. And if God gives you children, you will find out you're really selfish. Because the demands are great. You see, what we're looking at, then we'll look at what are biblical principles for relationships and how those biblical principles kind of give us the fuel we need for being the, the husband, in my case, or the father in the other. And as we do look at this passage, one of the things we're going to realize, it's a continuation of what Brian addressed last week talking about marriage is this is how does the gospel of grace impact our relationships? Last week it was about marriage. This week it's about parenting. How do we love one another in parenting, in the family? Uh, and then next week it will be another relationship as well. So as we continue to look forward to this passage and go through it, uh, let us remember that this is all by the work of grace in our lives. And this is not something where Paul stops and says, you need to figure this out. No, this is the work of the Holy Spirit God wants us to be. God that enables us to be the parents or to be the children that God wants us to be. As we do come into this situation, one of the things I think we need to realize is the context in which Paul is writing. He's writing within the context of the Roman Empire, right? And he's writing in a situation where children have no rights at all. None. The, the father's power was absolute. He could dictate everything for his, his children. He could imprison them if he wants. He could put them to work. He could even put them in chains while they're working if he wanted to. He had absolute power. He could even put them to death. And a son never came to age until the father was dead. What an abusive situation to grow up in. But not only that, 
when the, when the, the wife of a of Roman father was, had been given birth, that baby was brought to the father, and he had the power over that baby. If he re- picks up that baby and receives it, it is taken away and abandoned. Sometimes it was taken by people who trafficked in infants, who would raise them for slaves and for the sex um, in, the, in the, you know, palace, in the different uh, temples. It was a terrible, terrible situation. So what Christianity, what Paul is saying here, elevates children in an exceptional way, just like he elevated the idea of women and marriage. He elevates children as well. But before we plunge into our passage, there was a a quote by uh, Paul Tripp that I want to share with you. Parenting is an ambassadorial work from the beginning to the end. It is the perfect word for what God has called parents to be and to do. Every parent everywhere is called to recognize that they have been put on earth at a particular time in a particular location to do one thing in the lives of their children. Not what we want for our children or from our children, but what God in grace has planned to do through you in the life of your children. That's what God is calling us to. The first part of our passage says children. Now, it's interesting, the word techna uh, in this passage could be used for not just children. When we think of children who are younger and that kind of thing, as I look around the, uh, the uh, sanctuary and I see children who are there, it's not just necessarily the younger children. It's a word that oftentimes can be used for offspring in general. And in this case, I think that's what it's referring to. Uh, it would be the, the children who are just under our authority. I was talking to someone today, and they, and they were saying, you know, being a father never ends. That is so true. It never ends, being a father. It changes, but it never ends. And so when we talk about children, we're not just talking about little kids. We're talking about those, whether you're 4 or 18, I'm talking to you. And these are the words that uh, God has for you as you respond to your parents. So the first one is obey your parents in the Lord for it is right. So obey. What does that mean? Uh, It is a willing submission to put yourself under the authority of your parents. We, we see that, go back to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so that's a continuation. He's referring to relationships in general, and then now he's kind of unpacking what these different relationships look like. And in this case, you know, when you obey, you're putting yourself in submission to your parents. And that's what Paul is calling the children to do. Uh, It also uh, shows that it's not an absolute authority. We know that, don't we? It's not like the Romans. And we see other scriptures that show us what should it look like um, as parents lead and as children obey. It's not an absolute authority. It's not like if your parents tell you to do something unbiblical that you are called to obey that. In any way. This gets really hard if you have young people who come to Christ and they live in a non Christian home. 
and their parents are, are totally unchurched and totally uh, worldly, and, and how do you respond and obey and honor them? And so that's something you have to pray about and ask the Spirit to lead you and get counsel from other people. But it's, it's, so it's not at this absolute authority, but it's an authority, it's an obedience that shows that there is this understanding that God has put you in this family and your parents are the authority over you and you are to obey them in that context. It also um, reminds, we're reminded that um, ultimately says in the Lord that ultimately when we obey our parents, just like when we obey uh, anyone else in our world who has authority over us, we really in, in some ways are obeying the Lord. And then we come to honor your mother and your father. And so we see that uh, that's another thing. That's if we obey our parents, it's, uh, that's kind of like the actions. And the attitude towards our parents is to honor them. And so we are called to, and honor basically means to show respect, right? It's just simply to show respect and to, and to lift them up and, and to see that they are important. And does it? It never. Now, as children grow and they mature, you know, and they, they come start, you know, living on their own and start living life and having maybe even authority over their own family, how we, you know, we, we aren't under the obedience of our parents, but we never lose the honoring of our parents. Many other cultures are so much better at this than we are. We really do not honor age like other cultures do. And yet I think we're called to do that. We're called to, to look to those who are older than us with respect and honor and to give them grace. I remember uh, after becoming a Christian, um, I was 22 years old when I came to know the Lord. And uh, we were going to, my, um, I wanted to go to an, an Orthodox Presbyterian church, an OPC church, because they had a phenomenal preacher, and I was being discipled by a retired pastor who was going to that church. And, and yet my folks said, you know, we really like you to come to our church in the morning. And so to honor them, you know, but our church was at the time a mainline liberal church and really did not preach the scriptures um, like I liked. And so, um, but in the morning I would go and go with them to worship and then at nighttime, I'd go to the OPC church. And Wednesday nights, I'd go to the OPC church as well. But it was just a way to honor. But how do you continue to honor your mother and your father as they grow older? Because we all grow older, right? And we, our changes and our needs change. And so how can you continue to show honor uh, to your parents? And so I'd ask the children just to think about that. Even children my age, how do we continue to show honor to our parents. Then we take a transition to fathers. The word used here is pateris. Uh, usually refers to uh, the male uh, parent, but in some cases it can refer to his parents in general. And I think in this case that's what they're saying. And the reason why is if you just go back a little bit, he says, you know, first he talks about husbands and wives. And then he says, you know, to honor your mother and your father and to obey your parents. So it's a whole concept of, of plural, you know, of the parents in general. So I think when he comes and uses this word in this context, he's talking about mother and father. He's talking about parents. So... 
wives, you know, moms, you don't get off the hook here. You know, this is for you as well. Uh, but one of the things that he's talking us about doing is that, uh, you know, to not, you know, uh, provoke our kids. But one of the things we need to stay up front of is parents are not infallible, are they? Right, kids? They're not infallible. They make mistakes, don't they? And I've made mistakes. My parents made mistakes. We all do that. Uh, and, and yet there is grace there for us. There is hope there for us in the exercising power for change in your children. Parenting is about your humble faithfulness in being willing to participate in God's change for your children's sake. Do you see that? We can't change our kids, period. There's nothing we can do to change it. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. But we can be a tool in God's hand to help Minister to our kids so they become what God wants them to become. So then we come to this whole idea of, you said, not to provoke. And so you might be saying, well, here's the deal. It says, do not provoke your children. But maybe as a parent, you might be saying, I've said this myself. And I'm pretty sure you've said it too if you're a parent or a kid. Well, if they would obey me and honor me, I won't provoke them. Or the kids might say, well, if they would, you know, not provoke me, I would obey and honor them, huh? You know, we, that's a constant thing that we, we kind of throw that out there. Well, if, if she did not do this, I wouldn't have done this. But here's the deal, both, whether you're a child or you're a parent, you're responsible for what you. And children, you're called to on, obey and honor your parents. And parents, one of the things that you're called not to do is to provoke your children. It's interesting, you know, provoke is kind of considered like, a, like an ongoing pattern, you might say. It's uh, that where you kind of are just kind of poking them, you might say. It's like poking a bear, you know. It's like on a regular basis, you're just kind of going after them and provoking them. Uh, irritating them, and then the result is anger. It's in Colossians uh, chapter 321. It says, Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. They become discouraged in so many different ways. They get discouraged in their relationship with you, but ultimately they might get discouraged in their relationship with Christ. If you continue to provoke and to bug them and to poke them to the point where they are discouraged or angry. So here's some examples about what it means to provoke. Unfortunately, you know, Lori and I, we would say we've blown it on many of these over the years when we were raising our kids. Uh, but here's one thing that we also said. We also said it really gave us a great opportunity to ask for forgiveness from our kids. And so listen to this list, and maybe there's one or two in there that you say, wow, that's, I have a tendency to provoke my children in this way. So here's a few of them. Um, some are overprotective parents. So even as your children are growing and maturing, uh, you want to hold on to all that control and power. You know, how you parent somebody when they're preschoolers and how you parent can actually be an irritators is very different. And it can be like the helicopter parents can actually be an irritant and be a provocation, you know, to provoke the kids because they have no control at all. Another one is favoritism, or comparing uh, one kid against another. 
or maybe even somebody else's kid. You know, Johnny, I wish you were like uh, Bill from such and such a family. What a hurtful thing that is. And that's a, that provokes them as well. Another one could be a pushing achievement beyond the reasonable bounds. And we know this is usually in areas of sports or education, academics, or music or something like that. Another one is anger or resentment, usually through either words or absolute silence. Hey, you're mad at your child, and so you give them the silent treatment. That's a way to provoke your children. Another one would be escalating discussion. You know how this goes. Johnny comes home and he's upset something happened at school and he starts talking to you and he's raising his voice and then in response, you're on. Never ends well, does it? Proverbs 15.1 says this, that a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word just stirs up anger. Another one could be using sarcasm or cutting jokes at the expense of your child. Another one could be discouragement, never complimenting or encouraging or showing or even sharing words of affection with your children. You know, if, if we go back and we look at our lives and look at our, our interaction with our children, uh, is it always negative or is there the positive? Is there the encouragement of things that they're doing well or does it seem that we only interact with them when they're doing something wrong? And then we have uh, using love as a tool, either for reward or for punishment. And then, of course, lastly, there's physical and verbal abuse that can happen. But instead, the, to parents, instead of uh, provoking our kids, he says to parents, but instead, bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. And once again, you know, we see that there is that interaction, isn't there? That if we are not provoking our kids, but we are, are disciplining them in the Lord, and we are instructing them, instructing them in the Lord, you know, there is going to be a more of a positive response. But whether you're a child or a parent, you know, because there are times when the children will not respond with obedience and honor, even if we are being faithful in our role as parents. But you're still responsible for your role, parents, no matter what the response is from your children. So again, here, parents, you know, we, we once again, uh, discipline. What is discipline? Discipline is a systematic training with an idea of correction. And so what that means is like there's a purpose behind it. There's a, a system to it that we want to correct our children, not just to correct them, but for ongoing training in their lives that they would grow and mature in Christ as a tool in God's hands to work in their lives. That's what he's calling us to do. Now, one of the things I think we have to be aware of, and I know this is something that you know, we, we all experience probably, is you got to make sure that Johnny is not being disciplined just because Johnny's being Johnny. Sometimes we'll discipline our kids because they make us look bad. I remember you know, when we were with Mission to the World, we'd go and visit churches, right? And we'd stay in people's homes. And 
we, you know, you're driving in the car for many hours. We get home. We go to the church. Maybe there's a social event. And our two boys were boys. And Chris and Kayla would want to run around and get rid of energy and all that kind of stuff. And every now and then we would cringe and say, oh, they're not behaving like we want them to. They're making us look bad. Instead of they're just being boys. And so we need to kind of just check ourselves and make sure that when we discipline, we discipline for reasons that are truly worthy of discipline and correction. 2 Timothy 3.16, I love this passage. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So I think oftentimes God wants us to bring the word of God into the process of disciplining and and, uh, instructing our kids. But do you see the process in there? So the word of God, not necessarily Rich's words, but the word of God is good for teaching and it's good for reproof and correction. So we see our children doing things that are really deserving of correction and reproof. So we allow the word of God to to reprove them and correct them, and then we're part of that process, that tool of leading them, of instructing them in the way of righteousness. And so it's a great opportunity for us to use the Word of God in the lives of our children, not as a hammer, in a guide. And so it's really important that we kind of see how do we use that in a way that is profitable. And Joseph earlier had read from Deuteronomy chapter 6. And these words that I command to you shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk to them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. So we are to use the Word of God as as a tool of instruction for our children. And I love how it is. It's It's everyday life. It's not necessarily a devotional time or family worship. It's allowing the Word of God to come into everyday life as we're living it with our children. So I love that, the idea is you're going along and you're, you're doing life together. You're able to point out the biblical truths that apply. Jesus was so good at this. You know, with his disciples, he was constantly, things were happening around them, and he would speak to those things uh, by giving them the word of God. And so I just encourage you, you know, look for the positive ways too. You know, sometimes we use the word of God as a hammer and uh, you know, they do something wrong. We say, well, you know, you kind of get on that, right? How about the positive things? When you see Johnny sharing his toys with a friend or, or doing a kind act for somebody else, remind him that those actions is a fruit of the Spirit and encourage him in that work as well. Not just for the negative things, but also for the positive things. Ted Tripp uh, wrote a book called Shepherding a Child's Heart. This was really was very important for Lori and I as we were raising our kids when they were younger. And I love what he says. He says, um, if authority best describes a parent's relationship to a child, the best description of the activity of a parent to the child is shepherding. The central focus of parenting is the gospel. 
You need to direct not only the behavior of your child, but the attitudes of their heart as well. Um, One time, not just one time, but again, I should say, Christopher and Caleb were fighting. And, And they were just being rambunctious, but they were doing stuff that needed to be corrected. And so I remember I pulled them aside, and I'm sitting down with them, and we're talking about what they were doing and how it wasn't in our house. And I said, Chris, we don't need more rules. What I need is your heart. What God needs is your heart. And so I would encourage you that that our job is shepherding our kids and pointing them to Jesus as much as we can. When we do children's baptism, I love all that goes on because it reminds me of of the truth that we are, for us even as children of God. But here are the instructions to parents during the children's baptism of children. That they teach them the word of God. That they instruct them in the principles of Christian living. That they pray with them and for them. And that they set an example of a follower, follower of Jesus Christ before their kids. You see, we need to remind ourselves that, first of all, that our kids need a Savior. They need the Lord, and they need a relationship with Him. One of the first questions that we ask the parents after giving them instruction, one of the first questions we ask is this, do you acknowledge your child's need for the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ and renewing grace of the Holy Spirit? And they look at us and say, yes. Why? Because our kids need a Savior. They come out of the womb, sinful and broken. Just ask any mother. (laughs) It just happens, right? It just happens. But one of the things I want to encourage you about is that the gospel is able to make a difference. In Psalm uh, 78, it says, to teach their children the next, that the next generation might know them, that the law of God, that the children yet unborn would arise and tell them to their children so that they would set their hope in God and not forget the work, the works of God. You know, one of the things that this reference to, and Joseph mentioned it earlier too, this verse And Deuteronomy 6 is kind of written to the body. And he's saying that the the raising of the kids, of pointing people to the works of God, pointing people to the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is not just the job of the parents. I would say it extends to the grandparents as well. And it extends to the body of Christ as well. And so when you think about this, you, you... you realize that this is not something that you do on your own. Uh, God has put it on my heart to put together this um, workshop that I'll be doing in November, November 13th. It's for grandparents. How many grandparents do we have out there? There's a lot of us. And so it's called Intentional Grandparenting. It's going to be from 8 till noon on the 13th. It's just a way to help equip you and get you start thinking about what does it look like for me to come alongside my children to help disciple my grandkids. 
And so I encourage you, next week and the week after that, I'll be at the ministry table with a sign-up sheet, or you can sign up online as well. But here, as I'm looking at some of the parents around here, you're not alone. You are not alone. One of the questions, remember, in the baptism, what's the, what's the last question that we ask? And to who is it directed? It's directed to you. It says, you as a congregation promise to come alongside these parents in the raising of their children before the Lord. And we all raise our right hand, don't we? So to young parents, reach out to godly, older people to come alongside you and your parenting and to come alongside you uh, and your children as well. And older people, talking to myself, be available to come alongside and walk alongside those who are raising their kids today. Detroit with a missionary internship, and one of the things you did is you kind of got hooked up with a, uh, with a local church. And so we were with this local church and was doing a VBS with them, and we had another family there, and he had a young boy. I can't remember how old he was. But during the VBS, talk about his son. And so that morning, I was able to bring him, you know, lead him to, you know, salvation in Christ, you might say. The Holy Spirit was doing his work in his life. And so I remember going back and telling his parents and how delighted they were. Well, Lori and I can thank many, many people over the years who've had a huge impact on our kids' lives whether it be elementary school or junior high or high school, there were men and women who invested in our kids' lives that helped make them who they are today in their faith with Jesus. And for them, I thank. You know, and I can see one or two in this room right even now. Thank you for investing in my kids' life. And for us who are older, it's now time for us to invest in the lives of those as well. So what are we going to do? So I have some application things here for us. What, what can you as parents especially take home with you uh, as you go home? So first, there is no secret formula uh, for raising your children to walk with the Lord. Sorry. You know, if you came here hoping to get the formula, that secret, you know, spice that would make sure that your kids all walk the Lord, I'm sorry, there's none. Um, there are biblical patterns. There's biblical principles that we can apply um, if your children, if you're grown and older and your kids are walking the Lord, thank the Lord for that. It's His grace. If your children aren't walking with the Lord, the end of the story is not written. Continue to pray, continue to love them. It's only God who can change your children's hearts. You can't. A child can have no greater inheritance than the godly teaching and example of parents and others in the church. And then, as I've already said, encourage others, invite them, older godly people, to be a part of your life and part of that process. I want to take us back to our living room and premarital counseling. And as we talk about this, you know, the, uh, one of the things that we would say is that, you know, okay, what does a biblical relationship look like? What are characteristics of a biblical relationship? We might go to one or two uh, verses. And, and these verses are also verses that could apply to the family. 
Paul says in Ephesians 4, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. So parents, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of parenting, to which you have been called in all humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You know, if we would exhibit and, and work on living out those characteristics as parents, what a difference that would make. Just like it makes a difference in the marriage, it makes a difference as a parent. Galatians 5, and 23, the fruit of the Spirit, right? Any of these characteristics are beneficial as we raise our children. Uh, a year ago, probably, I was uh, visiting our grandkids in um, Jackson, Mississippi, and uh, I was sitting down with uh, Sadie and Ava, the, the two girls uh, my daughter has, and I was talking with them, and, and I was kind of said, well, you know, you, you've heard about the fruit of the Spirit from, you know, the Bible, and she goes, oh, yeah, and the two of them start singing the song, you know, and I was like, oh, yeah, you know that. What's a fruit of the Spirit that I could pray for you? And she goes, oh, that's easy. Self-control. And I'm thinking, yeah, she needs that. <clears throat> and then I looked at um, Ava and I said, Ava, how can I pray for you? And she goes, oh, kindness. I need to be kinder to my younger brother. And I'm going, yeah, that's true too. And then Sadie looks at me and says, Pop, Pop, how about you? <laughs> yeah. And I said, that's easy, patience. <laughs> I want to leave you two quotes. One is from uh, James Boyce. He says this, If your children um, have abandoned the Lord and are living a worldly life, it is not necessarily your fault. Your duty is to continue to live as a Christian and pray for your children regularly. Jim and Linda Boyce lived that out. They had three daughters, and I was a youth pastor at 10th Pres. And I had the two younger daughters in the youth group, but their older daughter had kind of rebelled against them. And she had kind of left the faith. She had married a, a much, much older man. And really it was a strained relationship, and this burdened them greatly. But they would, they would work on the relationship, and they try to set a godly example still before their daughter. Fast forward, I remember visiting one time, and Linda with almost tears in her eyes, wanted to share with us that Elizabeth and her husband had come to faith in Christ and were walking with him. So the story's not over. It's not a guarantee, but there is hope if you have children who are not walking with the Lord. And then I want to leave you with these words because it's sort of like a prayer for us. Paul Tripp, God is with you. Don't we need that? God's with us in the midst of parenting. He wants what is best for you and your children and no one, but he has the power to produce it. He has not placed the burden of change on your shoulders because the, he would not require you to do what you cannot do. God has simply called you as parents to be a humble moment by moment by moment, um, a, a faithful tool in change in the lives of your, your children. And for that, there is that moment by moment by moment grace that God offers us. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask that you would 
be with our parents even now, that you would give them that moment by moment by moment grace to, to set a godly example, to use words that edify and build up and strengthen, not to provoke but to discipline in love and to instruct in the word of God. Father, we pray that you would also strengthen us as a whole church to come alongside our parents and the children, the next generation of those who are in our church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.